0: This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Fred Gatchett talks about indoctrination. Are we being indoctrinated? If so, by whom? And what should our response be? Let's find out. Father Fred is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, George Tolman.
1: Father, it's great to, to listen to you here. And the topic is that you're going to talk about indoctrination today. So I am, I am real interested about what you have to say on that.
2: Well, I'm sure the two of us are going to be able to feed off each other pretty good on this topic. <laughs> the, <clears throat> I think, you know, whenever we think about indoctrination, it's, 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 it's kind of interesting. It's gotten kind of a bad name— by the very people who are the most indoctrinatory, if that's a word, um, that you can think of. You know, the, the idea behind indoctrination is somehow or another you're packing information into someone's head unreflectively. And, you know, the, the, you, know you, just, you believe it because we said it, and that's the end of the story. And it's like, well, gee, that sounds a lot like the climate change folks. You know, you talk about indoctrination, you know, you, if you, you look at what they have to say and how they say it, it's not really ever backed up with a whole lot of facts. In fact, the people that are asking for facts are the ones that get shot down. You know, this is settled science. Folks, there's no such thing as settled science. <laughs> science, by its very nature, means that it's always up for review. You know, if you want to make yourself really famous, disprove, you know, a piece of science that people have believed for a long time, and you'll get a Nobel Prize. Not the Nobel Prizes are worth anything anymore. But, um, but I mean, you know, there, there's no such thing as settled science. And so you, you look at the, at the indoctrination that you get from the climate change bunch from the abortion bunch. I mean, go, go to an abortion meeting sometime and say, you know, I think it's time for us to kind of step back and take a new look at this. Is, you know, is this really turned into what we wanted to turn into? Oh, you will be shouted down and shut up and, you know, shown the door you know, look at the gay movement. You know, go, go to some gay caucus somewhere and say, you know, have you guys really ever stopped and just looked at the data surrounding your lifestyle, you know, the, the high incidences of drug abuse and, and hepatitis and not to mention AIDS, you know, and, you know, this, this is just really, I mean, I would not recommend the gay lifestyle for the same reason I wouldn't recommend anybody take up smoking. It's just not good for you. Now, do you think in such a forum you're, you're going to hear, oh, well, gosh, I guess we never thought of that. Um, tell me some more about that. Or, oh, you're a hater. You're a homophobe. Who let this guy in? You know, and so on. <laughs> so you tell me where the indoctrination is going on, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> and most especially, oh, for goodness sake, on the, on the college campuses. You know, all those years that you and I spent, Georgia, at Fort Hayes State, and as bad as it is at Fort Hayes, you know, it's ten times worse at K-State or KU. And even sad to say... Catholic universities like Creighton University, Notre Dame University, and so on—you know the, the the indoctrination that goes on there. You know that um, you know you you will buy into this certain agenda, and if you don't, you know we have consequences. You know you can, you know I remember you know remember hearing stories of students of Fort Hayes coming in and saying, "Father, if I in my ethics class, if I don't parrot back to the teacher what they told us about abortion, I know my grade's going to suffer." Mm-hmm. Well, see that that's not learning. That that's indoctrination. And so again, you know, the, the people that make the biggest noise about indoctrination are themselves, I think, the biggest indoctrinators. Then when it's to the church, people will say like, Well, you know, all these kids they go to these Catholic schools just get indoctrinated. It's like, well, like they're not getting indoctrinated in the public schools. You know, just the question handed everybody's gonna get indoctrinated. What are you gonna get indoctrinated with? Mm-hmm. And um and you know, I spent a good part of my life there in Hayes, America, indoctrinating my students at TMP with the scriptures, you know, this is what the Bible says, this is why we believe it, you know, and so on, and, you know, the history of how it got canonized and the way it is, you know, and, and I guess, you know, all, all the parents out there listening, your kids are going to get are going to get indoctrinated, that's all there is to it. Um, the question at hand is, what do you want them to be indoctrinated with? You want them to be indoctrinated with the agenda that comes off of. I used to blame MTV all the time, but I think MTV is going down the toilet. <laughs> I'm thinking, I don't think anybody watches it that much anymore. But you know, but you know, this stuff on you know Twitter and Facebook, you know, and things like that. Do you want to get indoctrinated with that? Do you want to get them indoctrinated with the truth? And um, you know, the truth as evidenced, you know, by centuries of you know having it been proved over and over again, and also just you know the good results, the good results that come out of it. So, like I said, you know, the, this whole this whole thing of, you know, indoctrination, you know, it's always said as such a pejorative. Well, okay, maybe it is, but, the, but again, the very people that are making the most noise about indoctrination are themselves the strongest indoctrinators. And I think that's, you know, that's just kind of my springboard to get going for the rest of the conversation. So, I don't know, George, what do you think?
1: Yeah, no, I, you know, the, I want to hit your comment. There, there's a lot here that we could, you know, we could keep elaborating on, but the one thing I wanted to... To share, if the if the listening audience doesn't doesn't know this, so in Father Fred, you may, I don't you may know a little bit about this. I don't, I'm not for sure, but there was a there was an open science article. Pretty sure it was it was an open science article, meaning that um, it doesn't go through a um, a publishable journal, and. Basically, talked about the failure of previous psychological studies for replication. So, for the listening oh, audience, I
2: saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so they still only, only like thirty percent of them yeah, replicated. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So now there's some serious, like, questions about the validity of previous studies and theories that have been, you know, derived from them.
2: Well, yeah, let's let's back up and explain to the folks what that means. I mean, but the bottom line, folks, is that in the wonderful world of science. And again, you're talking to a scientist here. You know, I have a Bachelor of Science degree from Kansas State. I was much more interested in science before I was ever interested in theology. I'm still interested in science. I still get my telescopes out and look at the, you know, the sky. And, you know, I've, I'm just, I like science, always have. And one of the things about science, whenever you're going to do the scientific method, you know, you have all you, know, you formulate a hypothesis and you test the hypothesis and so on. Well, the, the big thing that, about science is, if I have this idea and I'm going to do an experiment to either prove or disprove my idea, well, then I, I sit down and I say, "Okay, I'm going to pry, try to prove whatever it is I'm going to try to prove." And then I sit down and I very carefully take notes of the methods that I use for my experiment, and then this all gets put up for peer review, because you know another scientist might look at my work and say, "Hey, this guy's onto something," or another scientist might look at my work and say. No, he, he, he kind of fudged here a little bit. His numbers don't add up here. Or, no, you, you know, th- this particular method he used, that, that's just not going to work, you know, and so on. But the idea is, is that once I do my experiment and, and explain what my methods are, then any other scientist should be able to do the same experiment using my methods and get the same result. And, and, and if they do, well then that just really kind of proves that my, my project, my experiment is, you know, has some degree of validity to it. What George is talking about is they did a study not too long ago in the, in, in the wonderful world of psychology, and they found out that only a third of the psychological experiments they were doing could be replicated, the, the results could be replicated by somebody else doing the same experiment. Um, which again, as George was saying before I cut him off, we'll put it back on here in just a second. You know, this really casts serious doubt on the validity of a lot of the psychological enterprise. So, George, take it from there.
1: Yeah, no, you know, you hit you hit it well, Father, and I'll just add to it that, again, folks, the premise of the scientific method, the premise of research is I should be able to reproduce studies, either the exact study on the same population, or be able to adjust it just a little bit and then be able to produce somewhat equivocal results, or depending on population and treatment and other things, maybe I find either a lesser gain or higher gain. And the idea is, as you keep replicating these studies, one, it gives the validity that what you did could be done multiple times and get similar similar results. Number two, what you're measuring whether it you know, be a social construct or IQ or whatever the case may be, you'll be able to know that, hey, this wasn't just one researcher making up stuff. This is literally something that I can test over and over again. And the general idea in science is that the more that you can test it and pr- pr- prove similar results, the more that you can generalize that idea into a theory or something, or something bigger, which then helps inform the field. So what Father and I have been, been going back and forth here with is that with this article that came out not too long ago, I believe it's about four or five years, I believe, and the very fact that there was some serious doubt about, again, close to at least over half, I would say, yes, about 60, 70% of of former studies where we couldn't reproduce the results or the effect wasn't even close to the same, which then begs the question, are what the findings from these previous studies, whatever they were, are they truly What we have believed for this many years and the issue with that folks is this if we found a flaw there about whatever the case is in terms of the study and whatnot it totally changes psychological thought now to be fair to be fair to the community out there we've also had studies since then who have tried to defend that oh well based on the methodology the studies work and stuff but i'll but i'll again i'll leave for for judgment because at, um, there's been also a good amount going, hey, we just need to accept the fact that this is the case and we need to really have a discussion on where we want to go. because folks, when researchers base their their ideas on, on previous research, again, it's it's it, it, everything layers up. Everything layers upon itself. And if we do have flaws in the armor here about validity or reliability of, of core studies, and we can to replicate them, then the question becomes, are we learning in psychology, and obviously some things that have derived from it, are they even real? And there's some very big concern about that because of the simple fact that it totally, you know, to be frank, in- destroys the integrity of the science. <laughs> you know, well, one of the
2: things, again, we've seen you know, on, on the whole climate change hoax, is, um, you know, the, 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 I forgot what the guy's name is, but he was the guy who founded the Weather Channel. And, um, you know, I used to, I love watching the Weather Channel. You, you know, used to be, you'd have to, you know, wait till the 6 o'clock news and hope you were, didn't run away to the bathroom or something during the weather report. And now you can turn the Weather Channel on whenever you want, and bam, there it is. You watch it for 5 or 10 minutes. You're all caught up, and, you know, you know if you can go to the lake tomorrow or something. And um, so the, this guy, I forgot what his name was, but he was the guy that started the Weather Channel up. And back, eh, probably a bit during the 1990s or something like that, when the um, the you know the big fear you know was global warming you know we were going to have global warming and global warming was going to kill us all, and um, and this guy you know he bought it he you know he was he was a climatologist himself and he says hey this is this is you know this is a real fear this is a real concern, but the more he delved into the data and looked at the data, and he was saying you know there's really no data to support climate change, what they have are a whole bunch of computer models. And the computer models, yeah, I mean, you know, because you're feeding input into a computer. um, And then they kind of found out that, well, yeah, people were putting the inputs into the computer so the computer would spit out the outputs that they wanted. And so this guy's saying, you know, he he went to some, you know, big climate, um, you know, conference somewhere and saying, you know, um, I don't know that we can really, you know, get behind this the way we were. And, man, this guy was shut down. He was silenced. He was—I forgot what, what's the term they use now that the media does to people when they want to get rid of. You? Um, I'll think of it in a minute. Cancelled. He was cancelled.
1: Cancelled. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, the cancel culture. He, he was just cancelled. And you know, he—I mean, he—he he went from being, you know, um, top man on the totem pole as far as you know, you know, climate studies and weather and everything goes. And because he dared to question the indoctrination. You know, he was shot down. Well, I mean, that's just what people have been accused the Catholic Church of forever. You know, if if you disagree with the Catholic Church, well, they're going to send in the Inquisition, and they're going to burn you at stake. <laughs> well, you know, you know, sadly, that did happen a few times, you know, and we kind of learned from it. that's like, that's no way to run, you know, no way to do business. But now, you know what happens? You, you get up, if anybody dares to question the predominant... Um, orthodoxy of, you know, again, whether it's abortion or climate change or the, the whole gay mess or transgender or whatever, you get up and say, wait a minute, I don't know about this. You, you really haven't convinced me. Um, instead of just having a gentleman's discussion saying, well, okay, let me, let me try again. Um, you know, the reason why same-sex marriage is a good thing and the reason why same-sex couples should be allowed to adopt children and so on is, you know, A, B, C, and D. And, you know, then, you know, you listen to the reasons and you go, okay, I see you're coming from, you've won me over, I agree with you. Or, yeah, I see where you're coming from, but you have not considered this, this, and this, and I am not convinced. And um, we've lost the ability to be able to go, well, I guess we're just going to have to part company here and agree to disagree. We can't do that anymore because of the cancel culture and, because, you know, because of the indoctrination that comes from, you know, the ones that are screaming most loudly against it. And um, I think that that's you know in, in, unless until that gets addressed somehow, you know we're just gonna be kind of spinning our wheels.
1: thinking about it for here, Father Fred, a little bit on the indoctrination piece as well. so you covered a lot of a lot of different areas, and we mentioned a little bit on on some of the the science stuff as well. When we talk about the word indoctrination and in our young people, how what are practical ways that we can help combat that and Go go on that. What 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 would you what would you say that if someone's like, Father, I could use some help because my kid is, you know, really struggling here with so and so professor, or they listen to the social media post and all of a sudden I can't get him off of this lie. What what would you tell them?
2: Well, that's kind of a tough one because you know the one of the things I've told people over the years with um, with um, apologetics and so forth, just with the faith. You know, you can you can learn. You know, you can get your um, your Catholic Answers books out, you know, um, from Jimmy Aiken and, and, you know, all, the, all those fine folks here at Catholic Answers, they do, you know, of course, they do really good work. And um, you can um, you can learn all that stuff. You can learn all the Bible passages and you can learn all the rhetoric and everything to where when someone comes up and, you know, fires one of their anti-Catholic zingers at you, you know, you Catholics worship Mary, you Catholics worship statues. It says, call home on earth your father and you call priest father. No, no, da. You can learn all that stuff. And, it's not hard to shoot them down and send them home with their tail between their legs. But the thing it is, is you're never going to, at least my experience is, I have never had, in one of those situations, someone go, gee, I, I just never knew that. Um, tell me some more about that. I, I've never had that happen. I remember one of, one of my greatest stories, when Bishop Coakley was still here, he and I met with a couple of kids from TMP. I drove them to, to Salina, and we met at a restaurant for um, Um, For lunch, and it was a nasty day. I remember it was cold and snowy and and kind of iffy out. The ride home was kind of interesting because it was just (laughs) the weather was so bad. But we stopped at a place here in Salina, went to one of those lunch buffet joints, and um, you know we're talking to them about you know the seminary and whatever else. And and, um, about the time we're we're winding up, I noticed these guys walk in about halfway through lunch. A couple of Hispanic guys. One guy was probably in his maybe early forties. Another guy was a younger guy, you know, and they were both you know, you know pressed pleated pants, you know, start shirts, looking real good and everything. And um, so we're getting, getting ready to wind up and everything. And, you know, you could tell we were through eating and we're getting ready to leave. And then I think, you know, the older guy tells younger, guy, okay, go get him, boy. And so this guy comes over to us and says, and he, you know, kind of speaking in street lingo, you know, hey, y'all, I see y'all work for the Lord, because the bishop, I both had our Roman collars on. And, uh, and then his whole thing was... You know, here in Salina, there's a lot of people that claim, they claim to be Christian, but when they get baptized, they get baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And it says in the Bible, you should be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I said, okay, so you're upset because, you know, a number of Christian denominations, including the Catholic Church, baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, and so he whips out his, his Bible, and, um, and he had the Acts of the Apostles there. And there's a number of places in the Acts of the Apostles where St. Luke, in order to differentiate between the, God, between the baptism of John and the sacrament of baptism, he will say, therefore, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, which is code for they received the sacrament of baptism. And, um, and he, he goes, so he says, it says right here, you he baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus. I said, well, I said, you ever read the last few verses of the Gospel of St. Matthew? And so he flips through it there, and, and his Bible had one of those, it was one of those Bibles where all the words of Jesus were in red. And so um, I said, why don't you read that to me? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I said, there's the answer to your question right there, pal. I said, you came over and, and asked me why we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, told us that that's what we should do. And it, it's right there in your Bible in red letters. That's why we do it. And again, you would think the guy would go, oh, okay, I get that now. But instead, you know, well, but it says right here, baptized in the name of the, the yeah, name yeah, of yeah, Lord. Yeah. I, I know that's what it says. Yep. And I gave him the explanation I just gave you, you know, that, well, this was to differentiate between the sacrament of baptism and the baptism of John. And um, I said, but you asked why we do that, and I showed you right in your Bible now. Are you satisfied with that explanation? No. I said, well, then this conversation's over. Have a nice day. You know, because, because see, again, you know, the, the whole apologetics thing, the reason why I think it's very worthwhile for people to study apologetics is so that they themselves are at peace in their own mind mm-hmm. so that when they hear this nonsense, they can go, no, 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 you know, I've, I've read the scriptures, you know, I read a, a piece by Scott Hahn or a piece by Jimmy Aiken or, you know, um, you know, one of these Catholic Answers folks and stuff, and, um, you know, Carl Keating, and so, you know, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at peace. And so that I mean that's the best thing. Now, the thing is is when, when the kids go off to college and they come back, you know, tell you know, spouting off all this stuff to their parents I actually have a funny story about that. But um, I, I when I when I was in, in in Hayes, I had a number of parents come up and going, Father, you know, ever since she went to college, ever since he went to college, you know, da 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 and you know, they would come back, you know, with all this nonsense and I would just say, Well, you know, you gotta take the long view here. They're growing They're off on their own. They're learning things on their own terms. It's not being spoon-fed to them, Um, you know, like, you know, maybe in grade school and high school, although now we're finding that it is being spoon-fed to them. That's what the indoctrination on the college level is all about. But, um, you know, know, just let them go through that process, and, you know, after a while, they'll, you know, kind of come back to their senses. You know, they'll come back to the roots that you gave them, and, you know, things will work out. And, you know, probably 60% of the time it does. Mm -hmm. anymore. I mean, the media culture is just so powerful. It is so hard to overcome it that sometimes, you know, people just go down that path and it's hard to get in the back. But I always tell parents, just be patient and, you know, help them along and, and hopefully things will turn out.
0: We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, computer, phone app, or Amazon Echo, please know. We'll be right back with more about Indoctrination with Father Fred Gatchett. We're back on Double-Edged Sword Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture on Divine Mercy Radio with Father Fred Gatchett. George Toman conducts the interview. Father Fred continues this second half by talking about indoctrination.
2: If you're going into the holding to try to win an argument, that doesn't, that doesn't tend to work. You might notice that um, Jesus was very good at winning arguments, and they still put him on a cross. Uh-huh. His, uh, his opponents, you know, when he says, Renner to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, what God belongs to God's," you know, and things like that. You never have his, his opponents going... Well, dang! I never thought of that. Gee, thanks for setting me straight. You know, that's not human nature. It's not going to happen. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think we have to be more out to try to make disciples than to win arguments because that just doesn't seem to work. It doesn't it doesn't generate much of a result. Let's say that
1: exactly. And sometimes it just fuels the fire in the opposite direction because sometimes, sometimes some people just want to argue for the sake of arguing. And when you get into that trap, you don't. You're not getting to truth per se. You're just having an intellectual exercise. Father Fred, so we talked a little bit about the indoctrination. We talked a little bit about even some a little apologetic stuff. I think here's another, and we're going to get this is a little bit of a, of a deeper question here, but I want to go into cancel culture just a tad here because you mentioned it. And it seems like there's people who want to, again, tear down history and rewrite it for the better.
2: Yeah, and, and, then, and the other thing, too, is yeah. what's behind it. That's the thing. Yeah, so, yeah, know, that's the I mean, I'm going <laughs> to just kind of take a little, and we'll, go, we'll get back to cancel culture. But, you know, when you, look at the, when you look at the Ten Commandments, and you know how, you know, Moses said the Ten Commandments, they appear once in Exodus, once in Deuteronomy, you know, Jesus cites the Ten Commandments, you know, and so on and so forth. But there's almost like an eleventh commandment that runs all through the Old Testament and the New Testament both. And, um, and, you know, I, I've, I've asked people about this. In fact, I brought this up in my dad's funeral sermon. You know, that when you, when you look at the Ten Commandments, but if you go through the prophets, if you go through the teaching, you know, the Gospels and everything, there's an 11th commandment. And the 11th commandment is, do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, you know, John Paul II, you know, made that a cornerstone of his papacy. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You know, the, the steam in the boiler, the fuel in the reactor of the cancer culture is fear. You know that that's what that's that's how they. You know, it's one of the one of the devil's favorite tools is fear, and um, and if you ever needed any proof that you know that that the that the media in the United States is is a tentacle or an agency of Satan, I don't know if any of you if any of you have heard about this this uh, guy. I forgot what the guy's name is, but he has a um, he has a, a thing called he calls Project Veritas. You heard about him at all?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: I yes. think his name is James O'Keefe. Yes. And, um, and, and he'll go in and he'll, you know, he gets kind of the sneaky behind-the-scenes cameras and stuff. And recently, he was talking with a guy from CNN. He was talking about how they're, you know, doing things. And, and one of the things that, they, that this guy was saying, he says, he, there was this guy from CNN was saying, he says, the COVID-19 story should be coming to an end, and CNN is prepared to focus on selling climate change and to promote fear. That's a direct quote from this guy that works for CNN. You know, mm-hmm. that they are prepared to focus on selling climate change and the climate change story to promote fear. And then he says, I was trying to do some research on Asian hate. Like all the people getting attacked and whatnot, a bunch of black men have been attacking Asians. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like we, CNN, are trying to help Black Lives Matter. And so, you know, we, we can't report on black people attacking Asians because we're trying to support Black Lives Matter. You know, we're not trying to, we're not trying to report the truth. Okay, Mm -hmm. But then he goes on to say, um, again, the story that I'd found a while back, um, he says you can, he likes to use the word like, not very educated, like you can shape an entire people's perception about anything based on how you do it, right? Just by forcing a story. That's called indoctrination. Mm -hmm. Just by forcing a story to help help like your platform, you know? Then he goes on to say, pandemic-like story, we'll beat that to death. But that and but that one's got longevity, you know what I mean? They're like there's a definitive ending to the pandemic. It'll taper taper off to a point, and then it's not a problem anymore. Climate change can take years, so CNN will be able to milk that quite a bit. And you know, and he says, you know, so why this is because fear sells. And and see, that, I mean, that's part of that cancel culture. That's part of that indoctrination culture. Is fear and who and who uses fear? You know, who like who has fear as his favorite you know weapon in his arsenal? The prince of darkness himself.
1: This is how they get you. Rather than attack the argument, they attack you, right? Oh yeah,
2: that's the old yeah. ad hominem. That's one of the old old yep. tricks in the book. Yep.
1: Yep. And and that's something that and that's where that fear principle kind of comes in. Because if I can attack you by doing personal attacks, whether it be against your integrity or your intelligence, whatever the case is, if I can attack you personally, I will instill fear in you. And folks, the greatest way to combat that fear, the greatest way to combat that fear is to have the courage of being in line with Christ. Because the greatest enemy to that technique, the greatest thing that can defeat that technique is if we have courageous people living in faith. What would you say to those who share that genuine fear of... You know, I really want to say the truth, but I'm afraid that if I do, because I see everything else, I'm going to get jacked. What would you tell those people?
2: Well, I think what they're going to find is more often than not, if they speak up, they're going to find a lot more people saying, it's about time someone said something. And if they speak up, more often than not, they're going to have people come up and say, you know, I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm glad you spoke up. I'm glad you said something. The, the 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 problem is is a lot of times when you do speak up like that, it's very rare that someone's going to stand up right there and go, yeah, what he said, and twice more, you know. And people don't do that; they'll come up to you after the fact. I remember one time I don't want to toot my horn too loud here, but I remember when Bishop Vinky <laughs> called me up with this preposterous proposition. You know, I want you to be the vicar general. Vicar? Well, I didn't know what a vicar general was. I mean, I knew they existed, but I didn't know what they did or anything. And and I said. Out, uh, why are you landing on me? He goes. Well, he goes. I've I've been asking around, and um and you know people say that. Well, he speaks his mind, and most of the time he's right. But the the th- the thing was though is that I remember that I'd be I'd be at a meeting or whatever, and I'd speak up and say something. Afterwards, my brother priests are going, Yeah, Fred, I was thinking the same thing. I'm glad you said something. It's like, why did you guys speak up and back me up? And so <laughs> I think you know the thing is it it can it can really it can be frightening, and it can you know it's like. I am, you know, am I the lone wolf here? Am I the, you know, the voice in the wilderness? And, but the thing it is, I think what you'll find is if you speak up for what's true and what's right, and when someone's trying to sell a bill of goods and you're going, you know, I am buying it, and you speak up and say, nope, you know, this, is, you know, this just isn't this, this, this is bogus, and, you know, you haven't considered, you know, this other side or whatever, I think more often than not, you're going to, there, there are going to be people that are going to, at least sincerely, going to be nodding in agreement. Hopefully, you know, you might inspire someone to actually stand up and go, you know, she's right. You listen to what she's saying. He's right, you know, and then more people, yeah, yeah, and then, you know, you'll you'll kind of carry the day. But, But then, like I said, even if you're up there and you say, no and, you know, you kind of, you know, call call the issue out and say, I think this is wrong, and I think this is the way we should be going, you know, you'll probably be amazed at the number of people after the death settles will go, you know, I was thinking the same thing. I shouldn't have the courage to say anything. I'm glad you said something. And so you just have to have a little bit of courage. And, you know, I think it's, um, um you know, Jesus even says, you know, I forgot exactly where in the Gospels, but he says, you know, that, um you know, the Holy Spirit will will give you wisdom to cherry adversaries you will know, we'll be powerless to, to refute. Yep. And so we're you know we're counting on the Holy Spirit and then if you know, if you got the Holy Spirit on your side you can't lose. That's what, yep.
1: Anything else you want to share to the listening audience, any ideas that, that are profound for you that you like to, like to get out as we have our final minutes with you?
2: Well in just a few minutes that we have left, I think it's important <clears throat> always to get a get a word out about vocations. You know we've we've got some really really fine seminarians in fact um one of our best and brightest deacon brian mccaffrey is going to be ordained to the priesthood on i think it's june the 5th here at the cathedral Praise god and we're all looking forward to that and um you know um father andy hammocky and father josh worth are, are our vocation directors right and now they're doing fantastic work and you know getting out there and making contacts with them um, with them um, you know young men and their families and everything. but i think it really it really has to come from the families you know um the um, you can have all the clever vocation programs that you want and you can have very energetic and, and um, driven vocation directors like we definitely have. but if our young men and young women are having the message telegraphed to them either you know overtly or covertly at home that you know mom and dad do not want you doing this. You and I George both know you know young men from Fort Hayes that, when they were, you know, toying with the idea of going to the seminary or um, becoming focus missionaries, their their biggest um, opposition came from home, from their parents. And um, and if that's the case, man, this, you know, this this is a it's going to be a losing battle. Um, if we pray for anything, it has to be for the conversion of souls and you know, kind of a conversion of a, of a of a of a way of thinking among the older generation, among the the moms and the dads and the grandmas and the grandpas, you know, so that um, they. Um, not only, you know, if their son or daughter says, hey, I'm I'm thinking about joining, the you know, the sisters, or I'm thinking about, you know, I've been talking to the father about going to the seminary, that, you know, the parents will be, hey, that's great, you know, and that makes us very proud. We're glad to hear that. You know, instead of, you know, well, we thought we sent you to college. You'd get a good job and make money, which is what most of the time, most of what they hear. So I think that, um, you know, when we're praying for vocations, we want to pray, you know, for those individual young men and young women that are that are you know that have heard the call and you know maybe are kind of wondering what to do with it you know which is all great stuff but then also you know that we want to you know pray for those families and moms and dads that they can you know see this as you know one of the greatest gift they can give back to God to have one of their own children you know dedicate their life to the to the propagation of the gospel I mean what could be greater
1: Yeah no agreed and I will say in extension to that father for the listening audience. One of the, the scariest armies that the devil would ever have to face is a holy presbyterate that leads and does their job well. And so again, going to what Father Fred said, vocations not only to the priesthood but also to religious life help combat what we're currently seeing today, and also at the same time produces the very fruitful vocations and sense of marriage as well. Because again, good priest and good married couples complement one another, and that they learn from each other, and they support one another very beautifully. So, Father Fred, it is great to have you on the air, and and, and great to hear your voice again. uh, Could you lead us in um, a blessing?
2: Well, sure. Very good. Well, then may Almighty God bless you and keep you, let His face shine upon you and be gracious to you, may He look upon you kindly and give you His peace the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Double-Edged Sword, Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture. If you can help keep great shows like this one on the air, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. Your donation will be greatly appreciated. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, 101.7 KJDM, linsburg Salina, 105.7 KMDG, Hayes, 88.1 KRTT, Grape Bend and 88.1 KBDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart.